that's my mission, is to get more and diverse students in our industry, because ultimately that's what industry is asking for. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So this is Annalise Corbin. Welcome back to another episode of Learning Unboxed. And we're very thrilled today to have with us Grady Burroughs, who's Director of Health IT Talent at something called BioEnterprise, which is based out of Cleveland, Ohio. And um, Grady is here to talk with us um, both about what's going on in his industry and the industry's role in educational workforce development through something called the Community Classroom. So Grady, welcome. Thank you, Annalise. I'm thrilled to be here. So let's start with sort of the the big uh, big picture piece. We've got lots of school folks that come and go on this program, um, and we're really fortunate when we get to have industry folks to come in and talk with us. But we don't very often get to have industry folks who are leading education initiatives. So I'm, I'm very excited about the conversation today. So, but let's start with what the heck is BioEnterprise in the first place. Sure, sure. So BioEnterprise is a nonprofit organization based in Cleveland, Ohio. We have two locations, uh, one in University Circle, the other in downtown Cleveland. Uh, and we've been around for about 14 years. And in essence, BioEnterprise is an accelerator for the biomedical space. So there's three areas that we actively promote and work in, that being pharmaceutical industry, medical device, and health IT companies. That's where I come in. So BioEnterprise traditionally has done a lot of work around growing and nurturing, cultivating small and startup companies, uh, primarily through uh, capital raises, venture capital and other forms of capital to grow and enable those companies to do what they can do to flourish and go on to their next stage of development and growth. And as of recently, I'd say within the last four or five years, we have undertaken the, uh, the talent initiative as one of the efforts that I lead within BioEnterprise to grow and diversify talent for our health IT companies here in Northeast Ohio and the state. And, and it's an intriguing concept. And, and just, you know, for our listeners, it's, it's an intriguing way that all of those pieces have been put together. They're obviously uh, definitely related, but, but collectively they represent some of the greatest opportunity and the greatest shortages in workforce that we have in the country as we have aging populations, everything tied to health, wellness, um, and biologics is going to be a huge, huge industry. And then you add the IT and the cybersecurity components that are tied to medical devices and the work that's happening in healthcare generally. And suddenly you've, you've got the makings of an awful lot of of careers and talent needs, correct? 
Oh, oh, definitely, definitely. And you know what's what's kind of very interesting is that not only do we have emerging companies like Cover My Meds, On Shift, Heart Source here in Northeast Ohio, and even in Columbus, uh, needing these talent bases. At essence, the skills that we're talking about, uh, software development and data science, are skill sets that are needed uh, by many industries, whether they be in fintech, as you said, cybersecurity, both local, national, and really globally. Mm-hmm. And so as, as, as teachers, communities, schools, students are prepping and trying to figure out, A, you know, what am I going to do with life after K-12, uh, there's, there's an immense amount of opportunity as it relates to job potential across these spaces. Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I think that, you know, I really go by the uh, the mindset that this rising tide lifts all boats. And that's not only from an industry perspective, but obviously the students that we're cultivating and growing for these jobs, as well as the educators. The reality is that uh, not many people go to college these days to mm-hmm. teach high school or primary school computer science. Uh, most of those folks go for social studies, math, traditional math, uh, traditional sciences. But today, this urgent need is calling for many people to get skilled up through a number of different ways Mm -hmm. to be able to deliver computer science and data analytic coursework in preparation for uh, school-aged children. And whether they uh, they continue to do that through their high school or or school-age careers or determine and decide to be a free agent and do it part-time as a contractor or decide, as you said, life thereafter. There's many paths for people with these skill sets today to offer them a wide variety of opportunities and leniency uh, to do really what they want when they want. And and part of the key to all of this, and we're going to get into nuts and bolts of the program that, that, that you are running for BioE in a moment, but the reality of it is you hit on two really critical things for educators and the public and industry in general to be thinking about. And one of those is that there is a drastic, and I'm going to say it again, a drastic shortage across the country and in many parts of the world of educators who are willing and able and skilled through a whole variety of mechanisms to 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 teach computer science. We have the same problem with math and sciences, but it's even more extreme in the computer science space. And as more and more across the country and around the world, uh, different governments are are legislating, if you will, um, and recognizing the need and the desire for more students to complete their earlier educational pathways and at least be computer science literate, if not well-skilled. We, we have an issue because where are we going to find those folks? Um, and the second piece of that is that not only do we have a shortage of people qualified to teach in that space and what are we going to do about that, but we don't have very good means or mechanisms for students to find themselves into that space as a potential career path as a result. So it's a two-founded issue, yes? Oh, definitely, definitely. As you said, the the world is increasingly moving faster and faster into a digital age where, you know, digital literacy is going to be the hallmark banner by which people will really progress and have opportunities or not. Um, You know, Northeast Ohio, we are classically known as a manufacturing environment, but Mm -hmm. now we're clearly a health-driven economy with the Cleveland Clinic being the largest employer and a number of industries in support thereof. 
So not only in, in our region, but nationwide, we can see the advent of you know, new technologies like AI, VR, and all the things that are happening that really are going to mandate um, the demand only going to increasingly grow higher for those types of skill sets. And unfortunately, education has been a little bit slow to pivot. Uh, we're working very hard to, to change the titanic direction and, and to move in that direction. But as you said, from an educator standpoint, we're underserved. And really from a, an interest standpoint, uh, we are still fighting the battle of really letting people know how many great opportunities there are out there and how well they can secure their future uh, by being an educator and being a student. So it really is a double-edged sword. Um, but I think that uh, luckily with the programs that we are starting to get in place, the ecosystems that are involved and are part of uh, the Northeast Ohio landscape, as well as the state of Ohio, uh, I'm optimistic and mm -hmm. I'm excited about what tomorrow has in store. But we have a lot of work in front of us, but it's an exciting time. It is an exciting time. And I also want to to stress that the field of computer science generally, and, and within that, I am rolling all kinds of things. So full disclosure, you know, everything associated with IoT, um, IT, computer science, data, that it, it's a really, really broad category of stuff. And to fully do it justice, you have to break it out into its component parts. But the reality of it is there are entry points for people inside that space that are everything from full-on college and graduate degrees to career and technical degrees to just right out of high school, depending on what you're talking about doing, what you want to do with it. And so part of that battle is just making sure that, you know, young folks, um, and old alike, quite frankly, you know, as folks shift their careers, that there are many, many ways to enter into the opportunities tied to the, the industries associated with, um, with, with computer sciences. Oh, that's exactly true, Annalise. And, and we're finding that we're doing our work and due diligence to make that entry ramp even earlier and earlier uh, with even the advent of high school students entering internship opportunities and ex exposure opportunities directly in the industry so they can find out what excites them, what they might like and want to pursue even more, uh, as well as just really give them experience to what is possible. But you're so true, whether it's, uh, you know, right after high school, going into an apprenticeship program, uh, going through a boot camp experience uh, through a concerted and compact amount of time and coming out with full stack developer credentials mm -hmm. and skill sets that allow them to be productive when they hit the ground running to two-year and obviously four-year opportunities as well. So there are a number of employers uh, through the landscape uh, in my area who are, are aggressively looking and the demand is so high that if skill sets talent exists, they'll gladly take and, and, and entertain a learn and earn type mm -hmm. of environment where students can, uh, you know, continue their education while being employed and being able to, you know, actually earn a living and, and make money along the way. So the demand is high enough that it's creating the opportunity for us to think outside the box and be creative on how we approach it and, and really, to your point, offer multiple on-ramps and entry mm -hmm. points for those students who are looking at going into technology and IT uh, as a as a as a really a career, mm -hmm. and that's that's a real key. You know, we forget that you know, 50 years ago, if you went to college at all, it was not uncommon that you worked 
at least part-time, if not full-time, all the way through while you were earning your collegiate experience. And we find that that is more and more rare these days. And the the option being that I, I can't afford to go into post-secondary, so I don't, rather than I, I find a variety of different ways to earn and learn along the way. And so it's nice to actually see such a concerted effort all over to bring back the ability for folks to be able to earn a real living wage while they attain uh, whatever their educational experience is. So I commend um, the work that you're doing to to make that possible. So let's dig in a little bit then with that in mind to this notion of the community classroom that uh, was created by the BioEnterprise Group. So, so tell us a little bit about the rationale for it. Let's start with that. Sure, sure. So uh, about four years ago, when I joined us uh, to join BioEnterprise, we did a, a study and really surveyed our our, our landscape and uh, asked our health IT companies if we could solve their biggest pain point. What would it be? And of course, they said talent, mm-hmm. finding enough local talent, uh, talent that diverse that comes from you know Northeast Ohio is our is our biggest need, and we just you know can't find simply enough folks. So we began to go about and find out, you know, what were the biggest barriers, and that was awareness and access. So we we worked really hard on the awareness piece, literature, and boots on the ground, and outreach to educate people on what we meant when we talked about software development. It's mm-hmm. not your mom and dad's old software development in the <laughs> bottom of a basement, but it's much more entrepreneurial and collaborative and energetic and fast-paced these days. And what even this nascent new uh, areas such as data science, what that mm-hmm. meant, and how that's important, and uh, you know, our, our really our our drive was initially to do as much as we could to change the pendulum and move more education into the high school level uh, and into the even to the middle school level. Mm-hmm. We've been very successful partnering with Microsoft Teals and other um, folks to provide professional development to teachers uh, to enable them who did not have computer science degrees to teach in high school. But clearly, uh, it's it's getting teachers in school is a uh, it's um it's a it's a big lift just mm-hmm. because there's budgets and there's constraints and there's a certain amount of bureaucracy. But we will always push to be that number one reason and method to deliver content because it's the best leverage model. Children go to school. There's teachers. Uh, that's always where we want to see it happen. But we said, you know, even though that's our number one strategy, we need to do more. We need to have more access and more points. So the thought of starting a community classroom came about last year. We had a grant from the Cleveland Foundation to pilot and target three schools within CMSD, Cleveland Metropolitan School District, that had no computer science. And we provided transportation with a bus to uh, pick the children up, bring them downtown to the Global Center, provide uh, computer coding instruction in HTML, JavaScript, and C-sharp content that was actually developed by Highland Software and was donated to us because they have a very successful after-school program and they wanted to uh, extrapolate that to a wider body. And the students really enjoyed it. They really enjoyed learning something new, uh, something different, and being able to do it, uh, quite honestly, in a in a very non-threatening environment uh, after school, kind of on their own pace because kids are extremely busy these days. And, uh, you know, we, we saw that the ability that and the success that we had was a good idea enough that we went to state legislator to scale 
our one day of class to uh, to five, and mm-hmm. we were successful in getting the funding to be able to do that. So we really want to impact and touch uh, about five times as many students uh, as we did in our pilot phase in this current academic school year. And that's really, really exciting. And, um, you know, I got to to uh, be part of your journey um, a little bit uh, from the legislative standpoint, which is how I really got to learn so much about the program. And so um, uh, for, for folks that are out there, you know, being able to get legislative support for any educational initiatives is always hard. Even in the best of climates, it's, it's always difficult. So, you know, kudos on the effort uh, because I, I know how big of a lift that was. But but let's talk a little bit sort of nuts and bolts because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what I hear all the time um, from from our, my listeners um, and, and other folks in and around the the world as I travel talking about um, the different things that are happening in 21st century teaching and learning is that, well, that's awesome for Cleveland. But, you know, I'm this community in New Mexico or I am a community in Wyoming or I am, you know, even, even a community in South Carolina. Carolina, and I don't have the resources that are available and able to be found um, in Cleveland. And so I need to understand the nuts and the bolts of the program. So so how, how exactly does the program work? And tell us a little bit, um, if you can, about the Highland software that you really sort of built this, you know, the, the platform that you're building this on. Sure, sure. Well, you know, the nuts and bolts comes down to kind of, I would say the best approach is crawl, walk, run. It's hard to do (laughs) everything at one time because literally you're talking about an investment in hardware, getting laptops or desktops. You're talking about forming a coalition of instructors, whether they be volunteers or they be paid teachers. And you're talking about uh, needing and getting a curriculum. And there's always, always always the transportation issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, we didn't just start this kind of on a whim. We really were thoughtful in, in working and trying to choose partners that could see the benefits of this effort. Um, I would say, you know, from a from a content standpoint, having a partner like Highland Software, where I used to be employed before came to BioEnterprise, was phenomenal. Just to have that out-of-the-box uh, coursework and curriculum handed over to us was really, really, really a nice thing to have. Uh, they have a very successful after-school program that is uh, standing and waiting room, and there's always a demand. There's an application process that's kind of rigorous. They have to write essays, but it's a it's a suburban uh, campus corporate environment that students have a little bit more access and resources and parents willing to invest in those students to mm-hmm. bring them there and wait for them while they're there and take them home all the time. Something that we don't um, have as much um, here in the, the city, the uh, inner city of Cleveland. So we had to get very creative. But when we tap onto our resources, uh, again, our first year, we, we acquired the laptops uh, and we, we started with the pilot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, starting small is nothing wrong with that approach in order to kind of get your sea legs. Uh, from a pure content standpoint, it's great to have a donation from a corporate entity or if you had someone donate, but there's tons of literature and information and teaching skills out there, whether it's Khan Academy or the list goes on and on mm-hmm. with information. And and kids really don't need, um, you know, they don't need 
a full college course to expose them to coding there. You have to get their interests and really attract them, whether it's through gamification or video games or simple scratch um, types of block coding techniques. There's a number of different tools and resources out there. You just have to work a little bit, network, and find out what other people are doing at free or reduced cost in order to get them going. And really, you'd be amazed at how much the kids can kind of teach you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would just say that um, picking partnerships and working within kind of the realm that you have, getting started is 50% of the battle. And figuring out, um, you know, who your constituents are going to be, how you're going to get the content or get them, um, you know, to your location for the teaching and who your instructors uh, uh, will be will be really, really important. My first year, I leveraged instructors who came from industry because I didn't have any other teachers. Mm-hmm. And finding that one person from uh, uh, industry who's willing to give his or her time a couple of hours after work or on a, on a weekend can be the, uh, the impetus and the starter to kind of get you just started and then you, you you know you build from there but i would say you know if you have if you can only get five old refurbished computers and you know uh donated uh internet connection start small that's okay because that's how uh really the microsoft teals organization started out in um the West Coast many, many years ago. It was one gentleman who was working at Microsoft who saw the need uh, for more computer science instruction and decided to go to his local school and volunteer. So, uh, you know, you can really build something great uh, from very meager, meager beginnings. And how many students did you start with? So I started with uh, approximately 15 students in my program. Uh, just that was really my, my resource kind of capacity at the time. Uh, I wanted to make sure I had a good teacher-pupil ratio. So uh, I'm starting with, with that number, but I will always have no more than 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my plan is to offer, uh, again, classes five days a week as opposed to one. Because you don't want to get it too large uh, in that many students, you know, this is their first time in front of uh, a coding environment and Mm -hmm. learning how to, you know, actually put things in a a code editor. And it takes it takes some time. And one of the other things that we found is that during the first year, uh, if students are new to this, they're apt to really only code when they're in the classroom. So right. there's that whole kind of like anything remembering week to week scenario of uh, building upon what they've learned. And, um, you know, these kinds of things and skill sets are new. So you have to kind of bring them along slowly. And so then how does this ultimately then, so you're going to scale it this this year, thanks to the legislative funding that you've received. But ultimately for this to truly, truly be meaningful, it has to have either a direct impact into the public school system, in this case in Cleveland, or Mm -hmm. it has to have sort of a tide turn as it relates to the number of educators exposed to it, willing to take it into their classrooms, whether they're a computer science teacher or not. So how do you battle those two fronts? Because in every urban community across the country, these are the questions they're asking. That's a great question. And and I think one of the unique things that even I found in my pilot, those three schools that were part of my piloting uh, experience, two of the three actually had such a large interest in getting a teacher trained um, before the end of the uh, actually class 
extended so that they could teach computer science within their school. So um, although uh, because of constraints, I can only get one of the teachers, but that was a big win for us because, mm-hmm. again, that teacher got trained this very past summer, and now she's teaching in one of her schools an intro computer science class. So going back to our number one priority, the more teachers that teach CS, just from a peer exposure mm-hmm. standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, we were able to build a relationship that, hey, you can do this with your kids. That turned into a conversation with her principal, who, by the way, have, a, have an old coding and, and IT background, mm-hmm. but she never really thought about leveraging it within her and within her building, uh, turned into that teacher getting professional development, and now she's teaching it. So... You know, those are little incremental things that, again, to help stem the tide and move forward. But one of the biggest things that we're trying to do right out the bat is we're not necessarily offering certification day one or credentialing. We just want to energize and Mm -hmm. capitalize the students to do more. We want to excite them and expose them to this world. And the real kind of full circle, the way I bring it home, is I have a collegiate learn and earn program where students who are entering their second year of school, whether it's at a two-year institution, maybe coming out of a boot camp or a four-year or at a four-year institution, I have internships within my industry that are are really interested in hiring these students. So the more students that I get through my cycle of my community classroom that then decide to go on and study it post-secondarily, I can say to them, and matter of fact, this fall, we'll be engaging students who a couple years prior are some of the first to come out of Cleveland schools and are studying computer science. They There are jobs, full-time jobs, waiting on you next summer that you can intern at with the ability to work part-time during the school year, even if it's the minimal amount to keep you plugged in. Mm-hmm. But then the whole point and that the corporations understand is that when they graduate with whatever program they're in, they will be extended a, a entry-level position for full-time, uh, whether it's a junior developer or data scientist or data analytics person. And I think that's a very, very compelling case because many young people, if you don't know what software development is or have a data scientist in your family or live on the, in your neighborhood, you don't know what that person does. You don't know the industries or even the content. And although I'm really at the grassroots level working with students and undergraduates, I'm building connections with industry, which is ultimately, that's my mission, is to get more and diverse students in our industry, because ultimately, that's what industry is asking for. And, And those are huge wins. I mean, the fact that you already have a pipeline in place for these students who progress through this, stay interested, stay engaged, and ultimately find their their way into some type of IT or computer science education, that there's a place for them to go, right? And I, I think that's that's a lot of the battle right now that students are having, uh, you know, in their own minds as well as conversations with their families is, is how... How and where is the best and highest use of the limited resources that we or I have, right? And um, you're 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 offering something on the flip side that doesn't require you get all the way through to get there. That's huge. Exactly, exactly. And um, 
you know, when you're when you're often fighting the tides, I know of a young person who, uh, matter of fact, goes to one of our local universities, came from a Cleveland public school, and a uh, pretty bright kid, STEM student, and was going to study chemistry, and decided that in his first year, he really wanted to study computer science, and just the headwinds and the battle that he had mm-hmm. with his own parents, because they wanted him to be a chemist or a doctor, and he's talking about computer science, which is very nascent and new, you know, to his his parents, and it was a it was a very cathartic and kind of a, a interesting process. But ultimately, you know, he understood and convinced them that he could do both, you know, and it's it's one of really talking and educating people that these are the opportunities that are going to be in most demand, not only today, but growing in the future. And although it may not necessarily be secondhand or as well-versed as what you're familiar with, you will have many, many, many opportunities, both at a local and a national and international standpoint, if you open up your mind and uh, you know, kind of suspend disbelief long enough. But more importantly, to your whole point, there's jobs available for mm-hmm. you today where you can intern, get exposure and experience, and really determine, is this going to be for you? Is this the right thing for you? And have some uh, financial resources in your pocket to, uh, to kind of make that decision a little bit more solid and real. Yeah, and that's a great carrot, you know, when you can get to that point. For the students just starting um, the program with you, though, Grady, what's the hook? What's the thing that not only gets the kids there, but keeps them there to go all the way through your program? Oh, wow. That's great. Well, um, besides uh, there not being a cost or a a charge to the students directly, you know, I'm working really hard to demonstrate there's this value in getting this education and this training, um, obviously encoding in this this area that uh, I always tell the young people, they're huge consumers of so much technology, especially Mm -hmm. their cell phones for a large percentage of the day. But the ability to shift and move their paradigm and their minds to be creators of new things, whether it's apps or code, is where true wealth creation and sustainability lies. And that's not an easy thing for a 14 or 15-year-old to necessarily grasp, Mm -hmm. but some get it. The other thing is that, you know, coming to the Global Center where we're going to be offering these classes is really a diverse and interesting place because it's a center that has, has entrepreneurs and it has venture capitalists and it has health IT companies. And not only will I be providing coding instruction, but I'm taking them and inviting them into a building that most of them, 99 of them, 99% of them have never been in before. It's a county-owned building, but it's a resource that, uh, you know, is really new to them. And by exposing them to all those entities in that building, yeah, I'm selfishly trying to grow a health IT talent pipeline, but there might be that child or that student who says, hey, what does the venture capitalist do? Mm-hmm. That sounds kind of mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Maybe I think I want to pay a little bit more attention to that. Or, you know, the entrepreneurial endeavors sound like, you know, some of the stuff I used to do, whether it's my lemonade stand or my candy selling abilities, and uh, I can see how, you know, that person pieced and parsed things together to make uh, their entrepreneurial dreams come true. It's really about opening windows and giving young people options that they can begin to project themselves into, hopefully, um, you know, 
computer science or data analytics based. But if not, and they're still moving into a positive area, that's a win for me. So I'm hopeful that the ability of options, and I think that they're young people who definitely see it, but I have some really good partners and, and some principals and, and even the school district, the CMSD school district that believe in these options and are encouraging young people, you know, to come down and to, uh, to, you know, take part if they think it's something that they might be interested in. And that's a great scale opportunity for you, right? Um, you know, currently, as I understand it, the program, it's, it's, it's a year long program, but, you know, given everything you have in the building with you, I would think that it'd be very, very easy to scale and create, you know, second and third year experiences for students who somehow uh, want to stay engaged if those other, um, entities and enterprises within the building are willing to engage in in some type of sort of mixed experience for students, whether it's, you know, getting involved in part of the entrepreneurial team, putting their coding skills to work or something else, right? Thinking about venture capital, it just, it, you have an ecosystem there that could be just so incredibly powerful if leveraged through the work that you're doing, I assume. Right, right. We really, really do. And matter of factly, the space that we're moving into is right next to the Ohio State University's Cleveland office. So, you know, just the, the pure synergies of having them come over, not only to talk about OSU and the great opportunities of going there, but around college admission and, and testing and dates and, and just really what to expect, uh, you know, as they pursue life after after high school uh, is, is really, is really a, an awesome thing. So, you know, it's it's about exposure, and I, I think that as a young person, it's hard to necessarily say what do you want to do when you're all grown up because uh, I think they have a lot of ideas, but it's much different when you're actually put in the environment and you can see real life folks or talk to real life folks. And I've worked really, really hard, even from a teacher or an instructor standpoint, to cultivate and curate uh, a staff of folks who are really diverse because my goal is that when the young people come, they can look in the front of the classroom and see instructors, uh, not all of them, but some of them, at least one of them who look like them. Mm -hmm. And they can project themselves and say, hey, you know, if if Mary got this and she looks just like me, I can do this too, right. you know, because it's not out of the realm of possibilities. So it's really about um, giving them good role models, setting them up for success by great exposure opportunities, and really taking them out of their environment long enough so that they can imagine what a, you know, a different tomorrow may look like. And that's key, right? The, the ability to, to imagine what you cannot see. Uh, we talk about it all the time at past that, you know, it's not just enough um, that, you know, I can uh, see people who look like me. You know, I, 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 need, I need that um, in my growth and development. But I also need to be exposed to all the things that I don't know about because I can't do it if I don't know it. And so, you know, you're, you're ticking on all those, those, those right buckets. And I do also appreciate the notion of not asking kids, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think that's a huge mistake today. Um, back to your point, you know, because the kids don't truly know 
know. And when we ask that question as adults, um, and especially if we're adults that students perceive that are somehow not just like them or with a background that's very similar to them, we often compartmentalize or our students self-compartmentalize themselves into I could or I can't or I shouldn't, right? Um, and so we take the ability to imagine what's possible away from them. And so I, I do really appreciate that. I always like to to close the program asking my guests, for those folks that are out there in the world looking to do something similar, that either you know having great success or struggling to get started, you know, what are your greatest piece of advice? You know, that last lob that you want to leave others with who are contemplating taking a similar journey to Grady Burroughs. So, what would you tell folks? I think the the biggest advice I could give them, and uh, a key part of my success, is really getting a convening group of individuals together so you can ideate and create. Um, with a collective group that represents your pipeline or your mission. Uh, that was what I did day one. I got high school students, I'm um, sorry, high school educators, um, college educators, and industry together in a room. And I really impressed upon them the fact that we're not going to necessarily try to jump to the answer day one. We're going to talk about uh, what the pain points are, how those distill down from from industry to college and from college to high school so we could break it down into bite-sized, fundamental, chewable pieces and then begin to solution around that. But whatever your environment looks like, whatever your ecosystem looks like, pull together like minds and different minds of thought, a diverse group of people, mm -hmm. again, represent your journey and you know, really try to sustain from jumping to the answers right away, but talk about root causes, talk about barriers, talk about um, all the things that might torpedo or, or keep you from reaching your goal, and then kind of talk about how you solution and fix those things. And I think by doing that, you'll come up with the best possible solution for yourself uh, and have a much better uh, chance of being successful. Um, because uh, really, this work is, is it's so dynamic and it's changing and it can be um, both frustrating and exhilarating at the same time. You don't really want to go the journey alone. So having uh, a group of folks to lock arms together and go through it with you is really, really key. Absolutely. Never, never go down the journey alone. <laughs> That's a great piece of closing <laughs> advice. Thank you so much, Grady, for joining us today. And thank you for what you do. And um, we will uh, be checking in with you again later to see how it, how it goes. So thank you so much. Great, Emily. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.